Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, baseball, softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Thank you for joining us today. Episode 44, as we get this thing started, we're talking today our main topic of breaking bad habit loops. Let me bring in my friend, co-host, softball national champion out of the University of Alabama, current day renowned coach, Cassie Riley Bosha. Thanks, Jim. Good day today. today. Yeah. Great. Great. Good day today. It's it's uh, I'm I'm sad though. College World Series is gonna come to an end soon. Who do you got? Who do you got winning? I it's gonna, I, be, it's gonna be over by the time the episode's released. So I know. I know. See, I pro- um, prophecy. I'm rooting for LSU all the way. And if okay. anyone knows me, the most immature thing I do is hold a grudge against Florida from my time I'm playing. So I can never root root for Florida. <laughs> so all you Florida fans out there, if you have a problem with that, be sure to reach out to Cassie at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on Twitter and and give her your your hate, if you will. That's fine. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on here, but I actually have a text replacement on my phone. You can replace text. So if Florida is ever spelt capital, like mm-hmm. with a capital F, it replaces it to a lowercase F. Like, wow. That's, that's no. not, that is not petty at all. all right. <laughs> Not at all. Let's go. Let's go through this really quick. The backstory as to why Cassie did not like the Florida Gators jump jump. It's just because we got our we got beat so badly so many times by Florida. That's honestly that's it. We lost my freshman year on a walk off grand slam after being up by three in the semifinals, mm-hmm. um, and that was the one two three fourth time that season alone we lost. The following year. Uh, played them three times, lost twice. So now we're down, what is that, six losses in two years mm-hmm. to the same team. The following year, again, lost the series on walk-offs in Gainesville. We play them again in the World Series. Uh, they beat us in a double header and, like, really took it to us. And uh, right. so now what are we at? We're at, like, one, two, three. We're at ten losses in three years. Yeah. I don't know. And, like, big ones, too. The end of your season, two out of three years. So, anyway. They had your number. They had our number. It was like some our teams favorite. just some teams just have your number. Some pitchers just have your number for whatever reason. They yeah. match up. They match up well with you. It was always we, like respectful. It was never like this. Like uh, you know, it was never like a like a like a bad blood type thing. They just really took it to us. So it's funny and it's weird. Yeah, I, I, you, we don't talk about this enough when we talk about, especially with baseball. You know, the analytics don't tell you this. The advanced statistics don't tell you tell you this. But there are some teams that just match up. You see this at the major league level. You see this at the at the college level. There are not, they're just, there are some teams that match up better with other teams and can beat those other teams, even though those teams that match up with the really good teams, like Florida to your Alabama, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Your team was better than, than the Gators on paper. But there are some teams that just match up maybe better and can, beat you because they match up better it's not necessarily that they're a better team but they maybe match up better there's smaller intricacies in the lineup or in their pitching staff that helps them always beat you and have your number just it was was, i think we were fairly evenly matched talent wise but it was certainly like i mean it was certainly a mental uh match where we get to the end of the game and we'd be like oh here we go again they're gonna beat us at the end and they'd be like here we go again we're gonna beat them at the end and it was Now, did they did you did they beat you at home as well? Uh, yeah. Okay, so there was really no distinct home field. No, there is. I mean, we got beat on the road, neutral ground at home. Except now, my year we finally won the series by senior year. We go on beat them in the SEC tournament. And we win the World Series. 
So right, but it, it took you a long time. It took us a long time. <laughs> they didn't win the World Series first, though. We were the first in the SEC, so I will right. still hang my hat on that. <laughs> so when you guys visited Florida, I, when every time I see their football stadium on television, you, they always say they refer to it as the swamp or referred to the, that as the swamp, right? The University of Florida Athletics. You're heading to the swamp, and that football stadium, for whatever reason. The way it's enclosed, the field is enclosed, and the bowl seating, the way it is, it looks like you're in a swamp. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the colors. There's something mental in my head that makes me immediately think of the swamp connected to the moniker, Welcome to the Swamp. So was that what it was like with the softball field? In other words, was it really tough to play on the road against Florida at their play? You know what? My my freshman year, they had a pitcher. Her name was Stacy Nelson. Still, I think, one of the best pitchers I ever faced. And... uh it was, it wasn't the loudest. I think LSU was probably the loudest I played at, but they had this thing where, you know, this pitcher is striking girls out, you know, every other batter, it seems like. And when you struck out, the entire stadium would go step, step, step as you walk back into the dugout until they said, sit down. And it was, it bat sounded loud because you were like extra pissed off. <laughs> and then, so they had that, they were just very, that like one particular moment was very in sync. And then I think, you know, uh, so it was certainly intimidating, but it didn't, Georgia honestly felt more suffocating than any other stadium. Just the way it was set up. They have super tall trees in the back. Their backstop is really, really tall. Florida was the opposite where it was low and their fans felt very, very close to you. Right. So it didn't quite feel like the swamp, but it definitely, it had, it, it had its own feel for sure. Well, quick baseball comparison, if I may, you remember you being obviously a Yankees fan. You remember the old Yankee stadium and how... <laughs> The ballpark, it felt like it was smothering you. The old Yankee Stadium with those. My my, my father took my my one aunt, his sister-in-law, um, and a couple of her friends, and my mom, this was before I was born, to Yankee Stadium in the late 80s. And I remember they sat in the upper deck, and my aunt still remarks about this to this day, how if she, it felt like when she was walking down those stairs at Yankee Stadium, for those Yankee fans listening, you know what I'm talking about with the old Yankee Stadium, I sat up there for a World Series game and you felt like you were looking straight down, almost like you were in like the blimp looking, <laughs> a low blimp looking straight down at the field. But when she always remarks, when you walk down those 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 steps at the old Yankee Stadium, those that stairway in the upper deck, it felt like you were going to, if you tripped or tumbled over, you were going to go down into the lower bowl. And that's what we mean when we talk about an enclosed ballpark or that ballpark being on top or smothering. And that's part of that home field advantage. So Florida was not like that. But other places were. Yeah. LSU had people over you almost, it seemed like. They had, uh, you know, because softball, it's not as common to have an upper deck um, type thing, but they had. Right, right. Like, um, I guess it was like box type seating. And it was that almost felt like they were they were looking over. So I was like, whew. You know, so then that makes it good, though. That makes it like if you're competitive, it's a good environment to play in that. So then you're rooting for LSU. And yes, they, they better win then. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Who's your favorite right now? If you can name anybody, who is your favorite LSU player? I love I love that pitcher who just throws 103 like it's nothing. It looks like he's not exerting. He's not exerting any energy. Although he is, but it looks like he's not. Um. I so I I, I wouldn't really pick a player out. I really like the way the team celebrates. I always look for that, and especially at college levels. I think when you see a team celebrate like that, it's it's certainly you know you see it in playoffs, the professional teams, but not always during the regular season. So that's I've enjoyed watching them celebrate for sure. Yep, Tommy Tanks, by the way, um, his hitting instructor is a, a friend of mine. So congratulations, Tommy Tanks. He's had a nice college 
World Series. Uh, Paul, I can't remember the pitcher's name, his last name now, but it's Paul something. They were talking about Paul the mustache, right? Paul the mustache, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, they were talking, the announcers, about him possibly, if he goes number one to, to Pittsburgh, who Pittsburgh, they've lost, I think, what, when we talked to you on this Wednesday when the episode's released, they'll probably have lost like 10 of 14, but they've lost 10 in a row as we record this today. So they've fallen out of the division standings, of course, with the Reds now being in, I think, first place, right? A game and a half up on Milwaukee. Pitt, they were talking about, though, Pittsburgh's in the running. They are they have the number one pick, and if they're in the running for the postseason or if they're in the wild card race, they may put him in the bullpen if they pick him number one overall in the bullpen late late in the year. And and I I almost threw my coffee cup in the TV. And that would said, be... No! It's a said to ever? <laughs> Is that I, ever I, said, I said, don't do that. And my, my theory... I. My theory, I want to get your opinion on this. My theory with pitchers, if you're going to draft a pitcher out of college, knowing that, who's the one kid who threw, uh, well, how many pitches was it? 140 pitches or something uh, in the West? Math. Right, Stanford kid. Yeah. He threw 100. Now, if you go draft that kid, right? If I'm drafting that kid, say, in the first round, second round, any round, doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm sitting that kid for the rest of the year, right? After, as soon as I sign him, he's not pitching at all. Right, and that's the same thing with the Paul, this Paul kid. I wouldn't pitch him at all. I wouldn't throw him in the bullpen. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have him participate in any minor league games. Maybe participate in instructional league, do some stuff there. But he's not pitching on a mound, live game on a mound, and preferably in advanced day until April of two thousand and twenty-four, because of, of the wear and tear on his arm. Right, right, right. And and so the other thing too is it's not. Uh, not all pitches are created equal. It's what Correct. you're throwing in the Calder World Series. This is high adrenaline. Not that like you have to completely shut someone down because you don't want to decondition the arm. So certainly all four uh, continuing to train and continuing to work. However, um, I have to imagine going from the Calder World Series level to then getting drafted and then all of a sudden you're ramping up to potentially play at a major league level. So soon, like those are very high effort, high stress throws. Who knows if he's ready? If he, I don't know anything about his training, but the average person would probably, or average baseball player might not be equipped to handle that that stress. And then the other thing too is like, do you want to rush important developmental years just to get someone to the end? I, I don't know. I don't know how much that would end up helping. But right. and then you and then you take into account too his his service time as well because that service. Well, actually, no, the service time wouldn't kick in. It would be still be the seven years, right? So if he got, let's say the Pirates brought him up, drafted him first overall, brought him up in September, his service time wouldn't, he'd still have this, the seven years. So that really wouldn't be too much of a factor. Although, you know, again, service time, it goes very, very quickly, those seven years. And you would you would anticipate him to be at the major league level within the next year. I mean, he could start out an advanced day and then go to double A, almost get, almost like he's getting ramped up to then, be pitching on a major league mound in a rotation come June. Now, if you're Dylan Cruz, for example, and you're drafting him number one overall, and he's a college hitter, it's not far-fetched that he could be in a lineup or on your major league roster come September. Because again, he's in college, 21, 22 years old. He's not in high school, so there's not that emotional maturity that he needs just yet. Hmm. Um, or, you know, like like a, like a um, high school kid would. I am curious, I, and I don't know, uh, I haven't been around uh, minor league athletes to major league athletes enough, just what's more difficult uh, going, like ramping up from college to MLB level as a pitcher or doing it as a hitter? And I wonder, you know, just like me thinking as a hitter, I'm like, 
you know, you could have all the correct tools to be effective, but when you haven't seen that level of pitching, it doesn't mean that you're not going to eventually be able to like see and track and, and get your a feel for that. But I'm wondering if that's going to take more time, whereas some, a pitcher who throws 103 is going to be able to be effective against a major league hitter today, uh, just purely based on speed. You, you could have tremendous bat speed and you're not going to be effective against a major league pitcher right, right away. So I, I wonder what that what that ramp up consideration would be like. So you've, you've been doing a little bit of work with the Pirates before, and they've got a high draft pick this year. Let me just make sure of that really quick here. Um, well, the draft order, make sure I'm correct. I, I heard, because I I say this because I heard um, that they could be picking number one overall. They are. Okay. So they're picking number one overall. The Nationals are number two. And then the Tigers, three. Rangers, four. Now, they just had the number one draft pick in... 2020 or 2021 with Henry Davis. And Henry he, Davis, who they right they just brought up, and so they Henry have Davis, funny enough trained in our facility back in 2017. And another another feather in your cap. There you go. Congratulations. But, uh, well, I mean, we didn't train him all the way through. He definitely trained on his own afterwards. He, he that's just he had a hand certainly. Well, I think it's just part of his personality. He was going to get there probably no matter what the way he worked. But yeah. yeah. So there's a lesson there for what's his personality like. There's a lesson that should be taught here. I think it's a, I mean, it's very, I think it's unique in comparison to other people, but I think it's a very bulldog mentality where he's going to just look and be like, I'm going to outwork anyone and everything and, and get this job done. Um, so that I, I say that and yes, it was so cool to see him as a 16 year old. Um, but I have no, I don't think anyone in our gym would be like, yeah, we take credit for him because he came at 16. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the pirates are picking number one overall in 2023 this year. So it looks like they hit on Henry Davis a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He's picked but they got it. Yeah, he's right. He's yeah, and they have to hit on this pick coming up. It's not every day you get the number one overall pick, right? The Nationals have been really bad here for the past couple of years. They they have not had the number one overall pick. Um, so it just goes to show you how valuable that pick could be. And so now, if you're the Pirates, who are seem- seemingly turning it around, even though that they've started, they've kind of hit a lull in their season and maybe they plateau this year, but they can certainly be a postseason team next year, looking at them on paper and the young guys that they have, some of the veterans with Brian Reynolds and whatnot. But you working with Pittsburgh in the past, do you think that this Paul kid from LSU, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up his name now because I keep calling him Paul Kid and <laughs> Paul Skeens. Paul Skeens, that's who it is. Paul Skeens. Do you think Paul Steens would be the right pick for the Pittsburgh Pirates going forward? Number one overall. No idea. Um, I come on. I have no idea. I worked with such a small pocket of my. All right, brain. but if you were in the Pirates organization, and they said, "Hey, what do you think? Who should we pick number one?" If Ben Sherrington called you up and said, "Cassie, you're very smart. I listened to your podcast. I follow you on social media at Cassie underscore at Cassie underscore Cassie RB at Coach Cassie RB. Who should we pick number one overall? Dylan Cruz or Paul Steens?" If the hype surrounding his work ethic is actually checks out, then I think he's a he's a solid pick, and because I think he's good, yeah. Because I think he's he sounds like the way his coaches and teammates have talked about him is that there is no, nobody that outworks him. Not that hard work is going to get you success in the future, but hard work coupled with that kind of talent uh, certainly it can lead. I, I think is going to be the the longevity piece that you need. So that would be my guess. Okay. All right. It's because he's the type of pitcher that if you draft him in top ten, in the top ten, he's in your starting rotation, and he's a guy who you would give an early, even an early extension to, and have him in your uniform and your 
on pitching on your mound in your ballpark for a very long time. There you go. Certainly what it sounds like. All right. Well, um, so we've learned that Cassie, why she hates the University of Florida. <laughs> I was gonna say this whole podcast could be could be just about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm, I'm you know already sixteen minutes in, we haven't even gotten to our tour thing. <laughs> our main topic. Hey, it just only gets better from here. Our main topic today: breaking bad habit loops. And you're rooting for LSU in the College World Series. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, go Tiger. There you go. In the uh, Ed Orgeron voice. <laughs> I can't do his voice. I'm not going to pretend to. I, well, I was going to say not many people can. I'm not going to want to sound like an idiot. All right. Um, today's episode, Breaking Bad Habit Loops, episode 44. We talked today about players breaking those bad habit loops. The last couple of weeks, we've discussed hitting. Last week, talking about hitting misconceptions, which, by the way, those myths we discussed in episode 43 about hitting oftentimes could disguise themselves as eventual bad habits that a player might gain. But pertaining to the subject of today's episode, bad habits form in many different areas of life, athletics, no difference. So, we need to identify as athletes our bad habits. There are a variety of ways to do it and move forward in trying to break those habits before they actually compound to become even worse habits that then become harder to break. Yeah, I think the whole thing about a habit is um, it becomes so difficult to identify within ourselves because it's very automated. And I think that's, you know, I think when we really think about it, we're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I don't I don't always think I'm going to do X, Y and Z and it kind of just happens. Um, so much of our day is dictated by the habits that we've already set up and by our structure. And whether you want to find something as good or bad, they sometimes it just is what it is. But I, in thinking of this podcast, I was trying to think of typical habits, I guess, that, or bad habits, if you will, yeah. less uh, habits that would not lead you to a future success. Let's say um, that I see that most of my athletes have admitted to struggling with, and. Uh, you know, so many times they almost come with like, you know, it's my fault type thing. I can't believe I'm doing this. And they're not realizing, well, listen, this is just, this is something that we've set up that we didn't even realize turned into an automation, a cruise control that our brain goes into. So when you, we talk about habits, what are some examples of some bad habit loops? And this could stretch anywhere from on field, from hitting to pitching to fielding to even smaller habits that you might develop off the field, whether it comes to sleep, whether it comes to proper rest, whether it comes to weightlifting, what are some examples of these bad habit loops that players might get into? Yeah, you know, I I think um, so many times athletes will come and they'll be like, you know what, I, I don't know why, what you know, I feel fine during batting practice, I feel fine early in the game, but when the game is on the line, I start to have these negative thoughts. I start to not be able to visualize my success, or I'm, I'm visualizing my myself doing poorly, or I just I get into this anxious this anxious feeling towards the end of those games, or we have athletes who are trying to set up better daily routines, like going to bed early, like journaling before bed, like trying to get their training in more consistently. And what they end up doing is they say, you know, when it comes time to it, I start to justify in my head, oh, you know, I can just do 15 minutes on my phone before I go to bed. Or, you know what, I'll journal that in the morning instead of doing it tonight. Or, you know what, I'm really tired today. It probably wouldn't be worth it for me to work out anyway, right? So like they, whether they realize it or not, the bad habit is not necessarily the skipping of the workout, the bad habit is that justifying loop that they automatically go into where they're like, okay, you know what? I feel good about that. I feel better about that. I'm going to go do something I want to do instead. Um, so those are things that athletes are struggling with now. And I'm, I'm sure at least one of those, all of us have fallen into at some point in our life. Even Sleep's with- probably the one. Sleep is probably the one, the most that people <laughs> develop a bad habit with in a bad habit loop. I can see that. Yeah. Whether that's going to bed early or earlier um, or trying to wake up earlier to get you know, 
a workout in or whatever it may be, how many times do we just be like, oh no, I'm too tired. I'm gonna hit the snooze button or not. I need my phone to wind down at night. You know, um, those types of things I think would, you know, really do affect people because then it sets up your next day and you're already behind the ball on, let's say something you had wanted to accomplish. So we talked earlier in the show about you guys unable you at the University of Alabama, the Crimson Tide, unable to beat Florida. They had your number a little bit. What kind of bad habits do you think you got into as a player against Florida? But just individually, when you were playing, what kind of habits did you get into that weren't very good, that were a detriment to your play on field? The, they could be on field, off field habits. What, what were the bad habit loops that you got into and how did you go about breaking? Sure. Um, so one of them, and, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but one of them was, um, for me, I, I, I always wanted to be more aggressive. And my coach used to really get on me about being more aggressive at the plate. I had such a hard time. I was, I would do really well later in the count, but I had such a hard time early in the count. And so if I was ever at the plate and I took a pitch that was called a strike, even if it was a pitch I didn't want, it was outside of my plan, whatever it was, all of a sudden I'd take a step out and I would start to visualize my coach yelling at me later for that one pitch and that wasn't even over. And it hit me. I was like, this is not productive for my team. I'm not, you know, I'm not my best athlete. So once I realized what was going on and it, it probably took me a little too long to realize that was like, why am I having this sinking feeling right now? Oh, my thought just went right to what's going to happen. The consequence I brought in that rubber band to just help me become aware of the thought and to snap myself into a new habit. Right. So I wanted to instead, when that first strike went by, to be like, okay, so what? Next pitch. You know, those, all those positive things that we've talked about previously for journaling and self-talk is, okay, so what? Next pitch. That was part of my plan. I'm, I'm going to get this next one. Instead of the habit loop that was created of, oh, I just took that pitch. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get yelled at later. Oh, my goodness. This is going to hurt my team. You know, things that have, are going to happen, right? That anxious loop. So that was certainly one of them. Um, I think, too, um, our... As, as elite athletes or as athletes that play in pressure, pressure situations, you have to realize that they're so, you know, we say this, it's so natural during, you know, hey, you just give up a grand slam and the defense just gets quiet. It gets mm -hmm. drawn, right? Like that is very natural. That is a habit that like we as human beings have. What we have to do is then kick in and, and act against it, right? And have to be like, well, listen, <clears throat> let's go talk to our pitcher more. Let's go interact with our, each other more. Like we're going to get that next one. It's, it's retraining what you've normally seen or normally done um, and doing something a little bit more abnormal to, to what humans would typically do. Well, you, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. We talk so much about breaking bad habit loops or, or people talk about preventing yourself from developing physical bad habits but mm -hmm. you don't so people don't talk enough about developing those mental habits and a lot of times those habits those mental habits develop when you're in a prolonged slump and they continue on throughout a year and it just has the a chance to ruin your season mm -hmm. that's where those those mental bad habit loops they can't develop they can't compound or else you could be in a lot of trouble yeah i, I mean certainly and, and that's you know when we talk about you know florida just because that was the example that we have right here sure um talk about never becoming aware of what we were feeling, never going back and being like, okay, why, why did we crumble at the very end? Why did this, you know, never addressing, you know, what was actually going on. Um, of course, we're just going to fall into those same habits. We didn't actually put the effort in to create a different habit probably until my senior year where we started to say, okay, listen, nameless, faceless opponent. We don't care who's in the other dugout type thing, right? So all of a sudden we're just competing against ourselves every day and it doesn't necessarily matter who we're playing. 
Um, so it, until you put in those efforts to create those new habits, those those bad ones are going to, of course, take over because your brain and your body is going to go to the path of least resistance. It's like, oh, I, I know this path. That doesn't mean it's the best one for you, but I know this one. I know this negative self-talk. I, I've been here before. This is exactly where my brain is supposed to go. Um, so it is, it's, it is amazing when you start to try to reflect of what's going on in your brain, just how powerful it, it really is. But when you talk about the breaking the bad habit loops, whether, whether it's physical or mental, we kind of touched on it, but let's dive into it more in depth. What could you do? What are some things, new habits that you can create for yourself that could break those very bad habits, both physically and mentally, whether they're small or they're larger? Yeah. I mean, so listen, how many times do we say like, okay, I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to uh, read at night. I'm going to get a better night's sleep. I'm going to train, whatever. I'm going to be better at my self-talk. Like we have all these great aspirations, but then we don't really have a great plan of how to do it. Yeah. And these four things that I, I I wrote down for this for the podcast is exactly from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which we've talked about in great length. Yep. But mm-hmm. One of the things he said is you don't have to necessarily have all four, but it helps to have all four. When you want to have a new habit, it has to be obvious. So make it written somewhere, put it on the background of your phone, um, make it something like if you want to talk more positively, put it on your batting gloves, put it on your bat, um, make it very obvious. Then um, you want to make it attractive. So you know, some people will um, add like the why to it. So it's like, okay, after this at bat, w- wouldn't lose a draw, right? If I get a hit, if I get out, whatever it is, I will have so much more experience now. So the attractive pieces, the experience of the at bat, not necessarily the out- outcome of the at bat or, hey, I'm going to go get this workout in and I'm going to feel so much better. I'm going to look eventually so much better towards where I want to be. So you're trying to make what you're doing more attractive than just a task or um that's going on. Making it easy is probably honestly the biggest one. It's going to be so much more difficult for you to create these new habits if you have these resistance. So the working out one for me is always, if you woke up and if you're trying to wake up early in the morning to go work out and your gym clothes are all over the place and your water's not even ready, all of a sudden you're going you're gonna to be thinking like, oh, I can do all this. I'm going to snooze instead. But if your gym clothes are right next to your bed when you wake up, your bag's already packed, the water's already set, you're making it very easy for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish um, and then making it satisfying. So, you know, big, big pressure situation, big at bat. I'm going to make it satisfying because after this, I get to journal. I get to put a, a star in my journal that, hey, I showed up to a big pressure situation and, and worked in my my mental performance. You know, all those, it's, it seems kind of silly to have those things, but all of a sudden that's how your brain starts ticking away and it's, probably just pe- playing off of these dopamine releases that we're going to get as we go through these four things. So I, I, so then it begs the question when you, when somebody says, well, you know, the per you should just start doing rather than thinking about or talking about a goal you may have or a plan that you may have. But some of these, it ties in with create, when you create bad habit loops for yourself, self, both physically and, and mentally, when you don't have a plan, you know, I mean, there has to be a process. There has to be, that's, I hate that. You know, you know, <laughs> there has to be a system in place. You mentioned it there when you get up early in the morning, you know, you have your gym clothes right there. You've got your water ready to go. You've got a plan. You've got a system in place that creates that good habit and something that you could build off. Mm-hmm. If you don't have something in place, a system in place, not only will you run the risk of creating a bad habit loop, but you may not get started at all. It's great to say, get started and just go ahead and do something to better yourself. 
as an athlete, as a person, whatever. But if there's no system in place, eventually it's going to fade away and you're going to go right back into your bad habit loop again. That's why New Year's resolutions are complete and utter bullshit because they never, they never work out because people don't have a system. They say, well, I'm going to, this year I'm going to eat healthier. Okay, well, what's the plan? What's right. the process that you have? What's the system you have in place? What's the meal plan that you have there hanging on your fridge? What new recipes have you learned that are healthy that will help you get to your ultimate goal, whatever that may be? It's, you know, a lot of that stuff is people relying on motivation, which you have a lot of in the very beginning. Motivation is like that drug where you use it and all of a sudden you need more of it. You relied on it. Now you need more of it. And it's all of a sudden you become what happens when your motivation runs off or what happens when you get kicked in the teeth with your plan. It's, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And then your world blows up or your routine blows up or something happens that you weren't planning on it. And now everything else falls off the rails because you didn't have that system in place. Right. So, yeah. As silly as some of these things might sound, be like, no, you know what? I'm strong-willed. I'm disciplined. I'm determined. That's great. But yeah. according to human nature and what humans, like we're all humans, it is going to be significantly easier, more efficient, and more bulletproof when you follow this type of plan to create these new habits. Um, and you might reflect and be like, you know what? I've, I've kind of already done this. I've done this by prepping my food the night before. So there's a shake in the fridge and I'm not tempted to eat something bad on my way to work. Um, I do this by making my coffee in the morning so I don't go buy coffee that I know is going to have probably more sugar in it than what I, you know, all those little things add up. It's not going to be this one monumental thing that you do that helps you with your later on recovery. You're not going to all of a sudden step up to the plate in a really high pressure situation and be successful because of one thing you did. It's going to be the culmination of you being really consistent at working on that negative self-talk and working on that anxiousness and when you trigger for anxiousness for you to be successful in those moments. So how can we go about creating a new habit, a new habit that's positive? Um, we kind of mentioned it right there with the, with the motivation, combining that with creating a system for yourself. But how do you go about even creating a new habit that will help you f going forward in your athletic career? Yeah, I, I think, I'm like I said, I'm such a proponent of writing things down because I think you're going to create a plan. You're going to be like, all right, I <clears throat> I really want to hit off of a tee four times a week. And you can put that as the background of your phone. It, it might not be, I want to hit off of a tee four times a week. You might put on the background of your phone a picture of the College World Series. And it is, I want to be doing this so I can get to there, right? So now you've made it very attractive. You maybe write down uh, tee work four times a week, um, in your calendar, you, you make a slot for it. You make it very obvious, make it easily accessible. You have the tee set up with the bucket and the net. You keep it set up in your garage, in your backyard, whatever it is. So it's very accessible for you to get there. And then you make it satisfying because let's say you have a chart of weeks and you get to check a box off when you're done. So you do that, you know, that's your plan, how to make it obvious, how to make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. And then you get two weeks in and you're like, you know what? It's actually a, gonna this this piece isn't working. I need to pivot and maybe try this. And that's just one habit that's going to lead to future success. But it is you gain so much confidence even once you get two weeks in, three yeah. weeks in. And the idea too is like, listen, it's never going to be perfect. You're going to get kicked in the teeth. Like your world might blow up one day, but you don't miss two days in a row. You don't miss twice, right? Because now you're always forming that new bad habit. So. As much of a grind and an inconvenience as it might be some days to stick to something, you stick to it until it becomes easier and easier and easier to flow into your daily routine. All right. Well, very good this week. Do we hit on everything when it comes to so. breaking bad habit loops? I think so. 
I think so. Yeah. All right. Follow us on social media at Jim Tara at Coach underscore KCRB on Instagram at Coach KCRB on Twitter and um, email us your questions to Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. If you want to be a sponsor of the show, email us, reach out Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. We've got some cool stuff coming up. We're going to talk more hitting in the, within the next year in 2023. Our I think our one year anniversary of cross functionality is coming up here mm-hmm. in early july i think right or mid somewhere mid so. july. I think we, you know what we filmed quite a few podcasts before i think launching one I, i'm almost yeah. positive because talk about a habit um i journal one sentence a day at night and i'm in year 10 of doing so i've journaled a sentence a day for the last 10 years and so i believe that one year of our filming had come up a couple weeks ago what do you usually write in the journal mm, it's anything from like if something happened either with my fit, something, it could have been just like a funny quote that I know I would never remember if I didn't write it down. Um, and if I don't have anything interesting, maybe I'll just write what my audiobook is that day or what podcasts I'm listening to. But what's really cool about it is going back and looking at, okay, well, because the way the book is set up is I look at what's today, June 24th, I'll see 2023, I'll see 2022, 2021, I'll see the years before it, what I wrote. So that's that's been neat. It's neat to see how far you came. And sometimes I'll comment on something that happened a few years ago and be like, oh, glad that's not my schedule anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's a good that journaling is great. It's it's a good way you know, to look back on that and see how much you've really evolved as a person. It's very, yeah, it's very, very cool. So, you know, it's it's manageable. I made it I made it easy next to my bed, made it yeah. satisfying. I get to see the year before. So what does your husband think of that? Uh, he was it's funny. He was like at first, he, he was like, I, I think people are more like curious on how I can manage it every day because it's but it's 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 neat because my entire company I've worked with for the last nine years and own is in that book and uh so is my entire relationship with my husband so very cool it's yeah it is neat um be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well on Apple Google Spotify we are on Pandora iHeart tune in wherever you get your podcast thank you very much for that watch the show on YouTube as well the softball strength academy YouTube page and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks take care